Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. If you're joining us, we're talking about sin. It's always a wonderful topic to talk about. It's one that we don't talk about often, but we need to talk about because we've been saying sin is so often misunderstood. I think if you brought a friend with you today, maybe you're visiting today, uh, we would often think that the the biggest misconception that our friends would have uh, about church is the notion of God. But I put to you this morning that the biggest misunderstanding they would have is actually the notion of sin. That uh, your friends and my friends who uh, may not be Christians yet, uh, they, can, they can get the idea of the God that we love and we worship, a good God and a gracious God. And so often many people see a God that is good and gracious and so they say, well, God loves everyone and, and he loves the good people because sin is about good deeds versus bad deeds. And if any of us who are Christians heard that, we would say, well, that leaves me out of the equation. <laughs> and it wouldn't make sense because there's a dividing line between good deeds and bad deeds for the average person out there. And what we've been discovering is that sin is so much more than that, so much deeper than that. So much more nuanced than that. And it's been wonderful to see how God has been working amongst many people here. You know, someone said to me the other week, Sam, this has been such a fantastic series. Every time that you do a message on this, I sit in my chair and I think to myself, I know exactly the sort of person who should hear this. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Look, this morning, um, I don't want it to be a message where you think, oh, I know Julie really needs to hear this. I know John really needs to hear this. I want you to say, I need to hear this. And I think it may be easy because I think the sin that we're going to talk about this morning really is, it, this is the heart sin under every other hand sin. This is the heart sin under every bad deed that we see manifested. This is a sin that is so pervasive that I would dare to say most of us, almost all of us, whether Christian or non-Christian, have to deal with this sin. It's there. It lurks like we learnt last week. It stalks us and it's right underneath our noses and we may not even see it. And why Jonah is such a great passage to preach on this is because if you had a sin that is so prevalent, yet so not obvious, then wouldn't there be a better passage to preach on than one where you see a guy who is a righteous religious leader and you see a passage where the word sin is never mentioned once? I think he could be a good case study for us, don't you? Let's have a look at Jonah. Let's have a look at this sin under every sin, the heart sin under most hand sins. Here's where we'll go. We'll see the signs of it, then the source of the sin, and then how God solves this sin. The signs of it, the source of it, and how God solves it. Here's the first sign of the sin. The first sign of this sin is that you have a lack of concern for people who are different from you. As Viva rightly said, this is a humorous passage. Uh, Jonah has, if we, we, we are, we've heard this at Sunday school. The deal is God says, go to the great city of Nineveh. Go preach against it, Jonah. You are my messenger. You're a prophet. You've been trained for this. This is your calling. Go do this for me. Jonah says, no, I'm going the other way. I'm going to Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction. God uh, sends a storm. Jonah jumps overboard, gets swallowed up by a whale, spat out, called again to preach against the city. 
And Jonah does again uh, preach against the city. They repent, they believe, and then we're brought to this point uh, where Jonah is sitting underneath, it's called a gourd. I had to look it up on Wikipedia. A, A giant vine with big leaves for a bit of shade, and it dies, and Jonah is more upset about the vine than he is the city that he's looking at. And what does God say here? He says, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend or make it grow. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 11, should I not be concerned about that great city? So here's God's logic here. He's saying, Jonah, look at that city. It's getting worse. The The people are different from you. It's getting more wicked. It's getting more out of control. Now, what is it like for us as most believers when we see a city like this? What's our tendency? It's becoming more wicked, it's becoming more debauched, becoming more of a minority. What do we tend to do? We want to run. We want to get out of the place, lest that it rubs off on us. And God, his logic is the total other way. It says, because it's getting more wicked, that's why I want you to go in there. And Jonah's response is, oh, he's more upset about his vine about his shade. So here's the first thing. You, you have a, if you're suffering from this sin, you, you have a lack of concern for those that are different from you. Now, look, it's, for us these days, it's not gonna, we're not going to be sitting under a vine with leaves and it dies. It's far more subtle than that. It's like the way that you only hang out with the people who like what you like. It's moments. It could be after church on a Sunday where you go out into the foyer and you can see someone who doesn't quite fit the mix of the people that you normally hang out and you refrain. Can you see how subtle the signs of all of this is? There's a lack of concern for those that are different from you. Here's the second sign of this sin. A disproportionate anger. So the vine dies, and what does Jonah say? Oh, now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. <laughs> and so we'll look at why Jonah gets angry in a second, but look at the magnitude. His shade goes away, and he wants to die. Now, I'm not a psychologist, but I would say that is a disproportionate level of anger. A disproportionate level of anger. Now, uh, we see this all the time in the world. In fact, Kieran promised there'd be no politics. I'll give you a smidge. But you want to see disproportionate anger, why don't you go read the social media feeds this morning? Why don't you read the commentators? Why don't you watch the election coverage last night? I heard a story. Apparently, apparently it got to the point at one polling booth where, where one uh, party volunteer went and bit another party volunteer. <laughs> I'm not a psychologist, but that's a disproportionate level of anger. (laughs) They're voting slips for crying out loud. (laughs) There's a bigger picture here. Uh, We're going to see why that Why does that happen? We're going to see that in a second. But can we just acknowledge, wouldn't you agree that we see disproportionate levels of anger in our society today? You'll see it today as you read through the papers. So there's some of the obvious signs of the sin. The question is now, well, what is the source of this sin? What, what, what is this? What is happening here? What is beneath the surface? What is going on? It's a dynamic that I think you and I have experienced at one point or another in our lives. I experienced it like this. Uh, when I was a little boy, four or five, 
Dad told me to do something. I didn't quite like it. I thought I was a big boy. And so I went off to my room and I packed up all my clothes. And I thought, I'm going to show him a lesson. And I packed up all of my clothes and put them into my little backpack. And I decided that I'm going to run away. And so I ran away with all of my clothes in my backpack. And I went out there, out the front door, big chest. I'm going to show Dad a lesson. And I ran away, all right. I ran away all the way to the end of the driveway. And I sat there at the end of the driveway, showing him a lesson. The, the source of the sin that is the heart sin underneath all hand sins is that we have to understand is that we are all in some way or another, by our nature, fugitives. We run. We want to run away from dad. We want to show him a lesson. We want to take, I'll show him who's boss. I'll show him whose agenda I'm going to live by. I'm going to do the right thing. Now, that is exactly what Jonah does here. You see, he is called for this. He is built for this. This is his career pinnacle to go preach to the city of Nineveh. This is his moment to go do that. And he stares this career pinnacle moment in the face and he says, you know what, I'm getting on a ship to Tarshish. I don't, I'm, going to, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, show him all, I'm going to show him who's boss. He runs away. Now, even underneath that, why is Jonah angry? And this is why I love the way that Viva picks up on this in the reading. It's comical. It, it comes in chapter 4, verse 3, and he says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, so, so Jonah's preached to them, and they turn away. Jonah sees this, and it seemed to him very wrong, and he becomes angry. Chapter 4, verse 2, he prayed to the Lord. I love this. Isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, I love the rationale here. He said, this is exactly the reason why I tried to run in the opposite direction from you. Because I was trying to stall you. Because I knew, I knew this, that you are a gracious God. And you're a compassionate God. And you're going to be slow to anger and abounding in love. You're a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. Now, what this is... This, this really turned the story of Jonah on my head for me. Because I thought Jonah ran away because he was scared of the, the Ninevites. There's a great city somewhere in Iraq. Uh, they, they were a terrible, horrible people. They were wicked people that should have been wiped out. And we've seen stories of that in the Old Testament in this series, that God should have wiped them out. And yet Jonah suddenly realizes that if I'm a prophet, if I'm a messenger, I've seen Sodom and Gomorrah, I've seen what God can do. But if God is actually sending me in to talk to them, He's not going to wipe them out. He's going to save them. And so Jonah, he was not afraid of failure. He was not afraid of speaking out against this wicked city. He was afraid of success. You see the difference? Jonah runs because it dawns on him, this moralistic, righteous preacher man, that God was not sending him to commend, condemn these wicked people, but to save them. And here we see the heart sin under every hand sin. It's the sin of self-reliance. Or as the Bible calls it, self-righteousness. It was self-righteousness. He says, I know, I knew you gracious. That's why I went. And now what do we learn here? What it shows us is that there is a dynamic... 
underneath every person that will always try and find a way to build their own worth and their own significance apart from God. If you run to the end of the driveway and you have no purpose or self in God, you will always try and build it on yourself. And in Jonah's case, he built it upon his upstanding view of himself and of his religion and of his morality. And so he saw himself as different from these people. And when you build yourself up like that, do you know what it means? It means that every, everyone, if you're doing this, has to feel different from those around them by feeling superior. In Jonah's case, it was racism. But self-righteousness can manifest itself in all sorts of different ways for people. In fact, you don't have to feel superior to turn your nose up at people. Have a look at some examples. You can use your minority status in society to turn your nose up at people. You can use your socioeconomic status to look either look down at those slackers or to look up your nose at all of those yuppies. You can use your religion to feel morally superior from those unbelievers and those wicked people. You can use your education to look down on people or to look, look up at those who got all the best breaks in life. You can use your brokenness to look down upon people because they don't understand how the world really works. Can you see how this works? Soren Kierkegaard in his book, The Sickness Under Death, puts it like this. He says, in fact, what is called the secular mentality consists simply of such. Those who, so to speak, mortgage themselves to the world. They use their talents to amass wealth, to carry on enterprises. They try to make a name for themselves, but themselves they have not become. Spiritually speaking, they have no self with which they could venture everything no self before God, however self-seeking they are otherwise. Now, do you know what he's saying? Here's what he's saying. If you don't have a self before God, if you run away from God to the end of the driveway, if your worth is not in him, then you have mortgaged yourself. You've mortgaged yourself to your family. You've mortgaged yourself to a career. You've mortgaged yourself to getting married. And you say to yourself, unless I've got these things, then, then I'm not someone. I'm not worth something. I'm not validated in that way. And that becomes your center. Really what it means is you've sold out to it, you've mortgaged to it. And so here's, here's what's amazing about all of this. Jonah the running man shows us that underneath all of your morality and all of your goodness, you can be doing the very one thing that God doesn't want us to do and that is to build an identity on something that is not him. And that, the Bible says, is a sin beneath every sin. When you do it at, at the micro level, that's the sort of thing that can cause you to bite another vo volunteer at a polling booth because your party's not going to get up. At the macro level, it's what causes wars. Can you see this? Sin's not just good deeds but bad deeds, but the dynamic of building your sense of self on anything other than God. And Jonah ran away because he's... His people, his kind, his religion, it was superior and God was going to be gracious to them. Hey, do you do this? How subtle is it for you? The clothes or... I catch myself saying, I don't live in Ryde, I, I live in North Ryde. <laughs> As if it makes a difference. <laughs> We do it. 
We live on this side of this road. We wear these clothes. So the question then is, if, if sin is fundamentally self-reliance or self-righteousness, how does God heal this? How does God heal Jonah? Uh, this is how we'll see him work here. Here's where we get to the most famous part of all of that story. He goes off in the ship to Tarshish. He sleeps He's going in the opposite direction. The storm comes in. The sailors think they're going to die. Jonah senses that why the storm has come, that it's part of God's retribution and the consequences of his sin. So he says, throw me overboard, which ironically is a sign that he's still caught up in his self-righteousness because to die for his religion, isn't that a noble thing to do? He says, throw me overboard. I'll, I'll sacrifice myself for my cause. And so he goes and he throws himself overboard. Now, in the midst of that, what does God, what does God do? Does, does he calm the storm? No. What's the first thing that God does? The first thing that God does is he lets him sink. <laughs> he lets him sink. Now, some of you are thinking, that's horrible. Well, what sort of God would let him do that? But look, for this sort of sin, this is the sort of sin where God can't wake you up. He needs to shake you up. If we learnt from week one that sin is self-denial, that's the sort of sin where you need to be woken up from. But this sort of sin, the sin of self-reliance, you can't get woken up from this. You need to get shaken up from this. And God doesn't wait for Jonah's conscience to come around because you know, here's the problem. You know, Jiminy Cricket was wrong. You know, you've, your conscience can't always be your guide. If you're suffering from the sin of self-denial, then... There have been lots of people done horrible things in the world where their conscience failed them. He needs, to be, he needs to be shook up. And so what does God do? He lets him feel a little bit of the weight of the storm. Feel the consequences of it. He lets him feel the storm. We've seen this recently. Remember the big storm that we've had and all the pictures of Collaroy Beach? Anyone seen all those pictures in the Herald? I went for a, for a walk because I wanted to see that house that we've seen on Sydney Morning Herald where... Um, that lady's pool fell onto the beach. Have you seen that one? What was interesting seeing her on the news is how irate she was at the fact that her swimming pool had fallen into the beach. And the interesting thing I was thinking in all of that was, um, why are you getting so irate? She said, it's, it's the council's fault. The council should have fixed it. They should have built a retaining wall. It's because we couldn't get it together as a community. And now my... My pool has fallen into the beach. Uh, there's the clue, lady. You built a pool 10 metres from a beach. <laughs> You're not supposed to build pools there. Because as safe as it seems at the moment, a storm's going to come. There's going to be a one in 40. There's going to be a one in 100. And can't you see, can't you see what storms do? Look at these things that you rely on in your life. Your family, families break up and die. Your careers, careers die. Physical prowess, that starts to fade. I'm learning that. And the reason that you get miserable about this is because you get miserable the same way about the lady in a pool. You thought that these things that you're building... A pond is supposed to remain stable. They're not. And here's what the storms do. The storms help show you that you're not the lord of the storm. That you're not the lord of the beach. That you're not the lord of the swimming pool and its foundations. 
Maybe that's why Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For it's the poor in spirit that will seek God. That's why nine times out of ten, I think it rings so true. People ask, how, how do I find God? Where do I find God? I'll tell you where God's street address is. P.O. Box number one, at the end of your rope. Because if, if, the sin, if the sin of self-reliance is really the condition by which we think we are God, we control the world around us, then don't you think the only way that God can solve that sin is to help show us that we don't and we can't? Well, some of you are thinking, well, what sort of God is that? What sort of God lets people sink? What sort of God thinks it's fun to let people go through storms in life? And my only answer for you this morning is a gracious one. Here's what I discovered. Here's what Jonah's discovered from this passage. Only in the storm can you discover the love beneath the waves. He sinks for a bit and then what happens? A whale swallows him up. There's a rescue plan. There's salvation. There's love beneath the waves and maybe finally Jonah is saved and maybe finally we see what grace it really is. And The definition of grace here startled me in this passage because grace seems fluffy, grace seems wonderful, grace seems beautiful, but not in this passage. You know what grace is in this passage? Grace is a violent love. It's a violent love. Think of a person that you love dearly and is suffering from a sickness. This sickness has caused them to get worse and worse and so they're hospitalised and the sickness can be cured. They've just got to take their medicine. So you try and feed them their medicine but as they get sicker and sicker and weaker and weaker, they become more delusional. They start not to recognise you anymore and they start to treat you like the enemy. So every time you go to give them the pill, they start to lash out at you. They start to hit you. They start to, start to try and kill you themselves. So then as a result of them not being able to hit out at you and to, and to kill you, then they do all they can. They try and flee from you. Now, what do you do in a situation like that? You run after them because to not run after them is to say that you hate them because the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. To, you run after them, but it's, it's a violent love. You, you crash tackle them. You wrestle them. You pin them down with your knees. You hurt them in some way in order to get that pill into their mouth because this is the thing that will save them. And it is such that you so love them that, that, that any punch, any violence towards them, such as your love for them, that it's, it's literally a punch and a violence towards yourself. Any parent understands this. Any parent that's had to deal with a wayward teenager. Grace is pursuing and interrupting self-destructive behaviour. It's a fierce, dogged love. It's a determined love. It's a violent love that will not stop until it hurts you just enough to wake you up. That's the sort of God that lets people sink a little bit. And then and only then can you find the love beneath the waves. Friends, Christianity is not the poison that you think it is. You think it limits you. You think it restricts you. You might think it's narrow. You might think because of the storms in your life at the moment that it's not working for you. Of course we think like that because all, all of us are to some degree and we're deranged and we're not seeing him properly. 
which means that there can only be one of two people that are here this morning. The first one, well, the first one are those that sit at the end of the driveway, <laughs> those that are yet to know God. And the Bible says Sid is just, we're all kids that have gone to the end of the driveway. To be a Christian is to come to the revelation that we don't know how to run our own lives, that we're not the Lord of the storm. And so I say to you this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've yet to accept God, he says to you this morning, come, come home, child. Come on. I'm cooking dinner. There's a place for you. It's warm in here. Don't stay out in the cold or you'll, you'll feel the storm eventually. And then there's another type of person. It's those of us that are building, always building things building the righteousness of our own. We can do it through our religion here in this place. We can do it through a whole range of other reasons. But it's only when we see that God brings these things into our life just a little bit in order to wake us up that we see the love beneath the waves. Friend, how are you building this morning? Can you see the sin, the heart sin under every hand sin? When we bring that to the forefront of our lives, when we come to a greater awareness of that, then we become the sort of people that are gracious to those who are vastly different from us. And we become the sort of people that can be calm in the midst of all the sort of uncertainty that we see today. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.